We are continuing Sefer Melachim Aleph, we're in the 11th chapter, and we've finally seen, after all of the hints of the fact that it seems like Shilomo is getting a little bit too obsessed with materialism and with the women, now we see it in plain sight, where in chapter 11 it starts to get very negative about Shilomo, and it says that he married and he loved, and I think love is, uh, it's not a word that the Torah uses in a positive way, because the love that we know of and the love that I think the Torah is referring to is something like uh, infatuation. And he, he, was a, he had this passion for women and he would obviously had the means to engage in it and they swayed his heart away from God and it was at the end of his life that his heart was not uh, committed to God like his father David. And he went after the Abu Dazaraz. Now did he actually do Abu Dazara? Most of the Farshim say he did not. I, all of them from what I've seen And it was his wives that he He turned a blind eye To his wives doing the Abu Which was seen as the The sin here and, they, and it's considered like he's the one who's doing the Abu Because his wives are doing it To the extent that they would build Bamot To their random gods like Kimosh And there was a Bama built to Molech Exactly And God got very angry with Shilomo he had commanded him not to go after these gods, but Shlomo did not listen. Now, I misquoted the Gemara yesterday. Uh, the Gemara says not why we shouldn't focus on the, the reasons for the mitzvot. The Gemara says, why doesn't the Torah always give the reason for mitzvot? I'm just going to correct the way I quoted the Gemara. The Gemara says, why doesn't the Torah always give the reason for mitzvot? And the Gemara answers, because if it were to give the reasons for the mitzvot, people would come and say, oh, well, the reason doesn't apply here, so I won't keep the mitzvah. Who did that? Shlomo did that. He said, the Gemara says, uh, it says, do not uh, marry many women lest you go off from the way of God. He says, I will marry many women and I won't go off from the way of God. And this assumption on Shlomo's part that he could withstand the temptations of, of mortal men was his, uh, his ar- let's say, call it his arrogance that caused him to go off. Uh, so that's why the Torah does not disclose the reasons because it's a, it's a potential pitfall for people who think they are smarter than the Torah. Okay. Pasuk Yud Aleph. So God says to Shlomo, and it seems like he told him via a Navi named, I think it says Achia Shiloni, Achia from Shiloh. But where does it say? Radak says, So God comes to Shlomo and he says, Because you did not keep my covenant and my chukim that I commanded you, I'm going to rip the mamlacha away from you and I'm going to give it to your servant. Now, the lashon of ripping in a mamlacha, in a kingdom, is something we've seen before. Because when... Shemuel was very upset with Shaul and uh, he basically said Shaul is going to lose his kingdom. Shaul grabbed on to the garment of Shemuel and it tore. And then Shemuel said, just like you've torn this garment, your kingdom is going to be torn from you and is going to be given to your fellow who is better than thou or than you. Okay, so now it's even using similar language, by the way, to the command or to the, to the um, Shemuel's Shaul that he will lose his mamlacha. So it's like a very, it's a it's a parallel to what happened with Shaul. Okay, pasuk yud bet. But there are two caveats. 
First of all, in your days, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, you're not going to lose your kingdom in your day. And that's because of the zikhut of your father, David. Rather, I'm going to tear the malchut, the kingdom, away from your son. And we're going to see who that is. And a second caveat, I'm not going to, to tear the entire kingdom away from you. I'm going to give one tribe, it's really two tribes, it's one tribe of uh, Yehuda Binyamin axis. The Yehuda Binyamin axis will be kept by your son. And the other ten tribes will, be, will go to someone else. And that is for the honor of David, my servant. And in honor of Yerushalayim that I chose as my uh, capital. Okay? All right. So this was Hashem's, this was like another um, prophecy. Yeah, yeah there's a prophecy. Uh, Radak says it was from Achiyah Hashiloni, who is the prophet who's going to become, he's going to be like the prophet of these chapters. Uh, Shiloni means he comes from Shiloh, which we know was like a city that historically was a place of worship. So I'm assuming there were a lot of Kohanim yeah. there and religious yeah. people there. So the Mishkan was there for a while. Yeah, the Mishkan was there for a while. So it seems like uh, maybe that could... So Hashem didn't speak directly to Shlomo then? He spoke to... No, this, it says that he came to Shlomo in a vision twice. But this time it came from a Navi. Yeah. And now that we've seen all of the good things that happened during Shlomo's reign and all the excess and luxury that they had, now towards the end of Shlomo's life, there are going to be people that are going to start to show signs of cracks in Shlomo's malchut and his dominion. And these are going to be people that get up and they try to rebel against the kingdom of Israel that Shlomo is leading and they're going to have some success. Now, are they going to overturn it? No. But it's a symbol of the fact that Shlomo's grasp over the power is, starts to wane at the end of his life and that's because of his avodah that he does. We're going to see three examples of people that in, at the end already of Shlomo's life are already rebelling and already causing some issues within Am Yisrael, which is like... A, a precursor of things to come. Let me read you uh, what's going on. Uh, okay, you know we'll just read it in the psukim because it's it's expressed in the psukim. Okay, so the person, so the first person, first of three, who becomes a satan, like an enemy of Shlomo, is a man by the name of Hadad HaAdomi. Now, Edom is somewhere to like the east of Israel. East, southeast of Israel. Southeast, okay. Yeah, okay. And what's the backstory of this Hadad? We're going to go through his entire backstory. And it was when David was in Edom fighting war, fighting the war against Edom, that him, he and Yoav successfully fought. They were went there to bury all of the deceased, and they struck down all the men in Edom. Now, what's going on? What, what was this battle? Did you, you, I, don't, I don't actually remember it, don't honestly. But I'll show you what, how the Radak interprets it. So it looks like from the Peshat, from the translation, not even the Peshat, it looks like they went to bury dead of their own in Edom. And in order to get to the deceased, in order to bury their own deceased, they had to kill all of the men of Edom so that they wouldn't attack them, right? That's what it kind of sounds like, this verse? Yeah. So it's actually, according to the Radak, that Peshat is the opposite. It's, it's, you have to flip the verse and you have to say, 
after they struck down all of the males and of they Edom, buried they buried their enemy. Makes more sense. So, after <coughs> he, they struck down all the men of Edom, then, then they buried them. Uh, and you see this kind of verse in which it's flipped. Uh, he gave an example that I think is very true. And he made the land dry and he split the water. That's in the, in the, in the thing. Yamsuf. In the Yamsuf. You said it's, the same, it's the same backwards language, right? He made the land dry. And then he split, then the, he split water. the water. Obviously, he didn't make the land dry and then split the water. He split the water and made the land dry. Sure. So Adak is proving that very often in the Torah, you'll have things that are said backwards. Right? And they went and they buried all of the men. They killed all of the men. Well, how did they bury them before they killed them? No, they killed them first and then they buried them. Now this, um, and the Chachamim in the Midrash, they say, that when the Pasuk says that David made a name for himself when he came back from striking down Edom, this was a good name that he acquired for, self, for himself amongst the Goyim. Because he was nice enough to say that the deceased of the enemy should be buried. Now this, doesn't, this is not to be taken for granted. Because the Goyim would never do that to Bnei Israel. And the same thing that Navi says in Yechazkel in the, in the war of Gog and Magog. And they're going to bury all of the deceased of war. And it will be for them a name. Meaning we will earn a name of respect from the nations of the world for burying the deceased of our enemy. Okay? So that's a very interesting thing. I thought it's uh, relevant because it's, it it's, relevant. it's, it's a classic. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea of this kindness towards the enemy hasn't left the psychology of Bnei Israel, And that's what was already happening in the times of David. For six months, Yoav and David were in Edom until they had defeated all the men of Edom, uh, all the, the males. Adad or Hadad, same thing. This man, Hadad, who we said was going to end up being the enemy of Shalomo, he actually ran away from the scene of the battle. So he wasn't, although he was an Edomite, he didn't get killed by David and Yoav. He ran away. And a few other people from Edom, that were the servants of his father. And he brought them, other Edomite people, to Mitzrayim. At the time, Hadad was a young person. Okay? Then they went up, they went to Midian first, which is on the way to Egypt from Edom. Okay. And then they went to Paran, which is also on the way to Egypt from Edom. By Hashim Imam, and they took like an entourage with them. They maybe they built like a following of, of random people as they were leaving, because he must have been like some famous uh, uh, leader of the Edomite people. Okay, so Hadad on his way, he stops in Midian. He goes to Paran. By Hashim Imam, Mi Paran. They took people from Paran. By Mitzrayim, and then they came to Mitzrayim. El Paro Mitzrayim to Paro the King Mitzrayim. Uh, and he gave him a house, and he gave him bread, and he gave him land. It says he granted him an estate, assigned him food allowance. Yeah, he assigned him, he told the servants, he assigned him, because it's Amar lo, he assigned him, he uses the word in the language of Amar. So he assigned him bread, and he granted him an estate. Maybe out of respect that this is like a, a king, you know, who's a... Uh, 
who has kingship in his blood. Also, in those days, I feel like they took that very seriously. Like, if a person was a ruler, they saw it. They saw that as something like innate, right? So Paro gave them the respect. Of course, he also came with an entourage. Okay, so Paro accords him all this respect, and now Hadad, who was of Edom, that should have been completely destroyed, is like the last, you know, remnant of Edom, and now he's rebuilding himself under the tutelage of Paro in Egypt. Now, an irony in all this is that at the same time that this is going on, Paro's own daughter is marrying Shilomo. Yes. Okay? So Hadad is going to be raised in the kingdom of Paro, and he's going to become an enemy of Shilomo, while Shilomo is married to the daughter of Paro. Okay? Pasuk, where is it? Pasuk Yutet, Hadad Paro Meod, Isha Achot Ishto, Achot And. Hadad found favor in the eyes of Paro a lot And Paro gave him a wife from the kingdom He gave him the sister of the queen Whose name was Who was the queen Gevira is like another name for the queen And then the sister of Tachpenes The queen of Egypt Gave birth to a son for Hadad named Genuvat Genuvat, I said it with Mileel, it's actually Milera, Genuvat. And uh, they, they basically nursed Tachpenes, nursed him as part of the kingdom, and she weaned him inside the house of the kingdom, of, the, of, of Paro's house. And Genuvat, the son of Hadad, was amongst the sons of Paro in the house of Paro. So basically Hadad really incorporates himself into the royalty of the Egyptian family to the extent that his son becomes part of the Egyptian uh, court, okay? Or the Egyptian sons of the, of the Paro. Uh, this is, it's, it's a funny backstory because it's a very long backstory. Yeah. All to tell us how Hadad end up com- coming into a position where he would come into opposition to Shilomo, Okay. And then all of a sudden, while Hadad is in Egypt, he hears that David has died and that Yoav has died. Now, if you look, it says, David shachav imavotav, that David rested with his forefathers. Vechimet Yoav, and that Yoav died. You see the difference in language? Yes. David rested with his forefathers and Yoav died. So let me read uh, Rashi. David shemet mitat atzmon emrabo shechiva. David that died on his own accord, meaning that he died of natural causes, it's, it calls it Shechiva. Yoav Sheneherag, but Yoav who was killed by Shlomo, or by, uh, who was it who killed, uh, Benayahu killed Yoav? Yes. Um, Yoav who was killed, Nemrabo Mita, it says death. Right, so that's a, one, one difference. Two, Davar David Sheiniach Ben Hagun Memalemekomo. David who left over a son who could, fulfill, who could fill his place, his void That's called Shechiva That's a good death That's dying like in sleep yes. you know? Yoav who didn't have a son to fill his place That was appropriate It doesn't say that he rested It says that he died So it's an interesting uh, lesson in Hebrew uh, vocabulary Shekhiva would be a, a nicer death than Mita Mita would be a little bit more uh, um, You know A less happy ending Died of natural causes And left behind a mm-hmm. son who That would be Shekhiva Took over his marriage Yes So Hadad hears in Egypt That David has rested with his forefathers And Yoav has died So Hadad says to Paro 
Please send me so that I can go back to my land. And Paro says, what do you mean? What are you lacking in our kingdom that you want to go back to your land? He says, no, I want to go. Now, what is Hadad thinking? I'm going to go back to my land, become a ruler again, and then go into opposition with this new young king who has no experience. And why does he not want to tell Paro what he's doing? Because it's Paro's son in law. Who he okay. also gave, I mean, they have a lot of things going on together. They have business deals. Yeah, together, they have business, the, all the horses, horses and stuff like that. Well, I don't know if the horses came just yet because it's later no, in Shalom's reign, but, but there was definitely, it was very early on that we heard about Bat Paro marrying Shalomo. So he's not telling him exactly because he doesn't, you know, there are other conflicts. And, and then, and it doesn't really tell us more. But that's how Hadad ended up becoming like in opposition to Shalomo. Now, why is this whole backstory with the Egypt, with him going to Egypt and this and that, becoming raised in the household of Paro and then going back to his people? So, Alex Israel says something amazing. He says something actually incredible. He says, um, This kind of reminds us of the story of Moshe Rabbeinu. I was going to say, it could be like similar to Yosef or Moshe. Like it's the, similar to Moshe Israel. because it's Moshe. Easy. Had to, all of the men of his people were being killed, yeah. like in Edom. Yeah. And then he got saved from the death of all of the men. He ran away to the house of Paro. He was raised in the house of Paro. And then he decided to go back One to minute. his house to be in opposition to Paro. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, the, the interesting thing that Alex Israel points out is that even by Shilomo, some of the language that described his, the excesses and the kinds of taxes he was imposing on the people and the cities he was building. For example, one of the cities he was building called Arem Miskinot, storage cities. Who was the only other king in the Tanakh who builds Arem Miskinot? Paro. So the language was already comparing Shalom to Paro. Wow. So now we have like Hadad, who has the same story as Moshe, going in opposition to Shalom, who has the same story as Paro. Are there any other commentaries that make this comparison? It's too modern of a comparison. It's, modern. I, it's not the kind of thing you'll find. I'm in, thinking the same thing. You can say the same. Yeah, yeah so like the same story. Uh, Radak actually tries to give his own explanation as why this whole backstory is given. So that, according to Alex Israel, that could be why the backstory is given. Um, let me see if I could find it. The Radak says his own opinion. Uh, why is it giving this whole backstory according to the Radak? Um, I can't find it, but Radak gave his own commentary as to why the whole backstory is told, and he doesn't come to that conclusion at all. Ah. Oh, so Radak says like this. Why is Hadad's backstory being given? He says because it's telling about all of the glories and riches that Hadad has to show that his hatred for Am Yisrael was so strong that he was willing to leave all of the, the, the enjoyments of the kingdom in order to, you know, fight and, 
defeat Gabi's territory. Get back his territory, yeah. Um, well, it's definitely not to compare him to Moshe Rabin, I'll tell you that. According to Radak, definitely not. Okay. And, and even if you do that, I mean, it's Lehavdil. He's not saying that it's the yeah, same thing. Of He's saying that it's, a, it's an interesting narrative that comes up. Okay. Um, and then there's another guy. Another man named Rizon. That ran away from Hadad Ezer, the king of Tsova. And this is in a war in which David was destroying the Syrians nor, higher, more north than Israel. Um, he ran away from the scene of the battle when David was laying waste to that country. Uh, but we'll get to that tomorrow. Amen. Amen.